The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. If you don't know me, my name is Taylor. Um, I was a student at the Inn for the last four years um, and uh, just graduated. Go dogs. Um, but I'm super excited to be here and sharing. Um, I felt like God put something on my heart, so I'm going to kind of share, um, continuing in the series that we've been going on um, about the kingdom of heaven. Um, so we're going to read through uh, Matthew 17 or 517. Um, when I was thinking about this, um, kind of the thought that came to mind was that there's there's nothing like an original. You know, you know the feeling? I don't know. Did anybody collect baseball cards when they were young? I know it's more of a dude's thing. I'm not going to isolate. Don't worry. But um, I grew up with baseball cards. Um, my grandpa died before I was alive, but he left me baseball cards. So I really didn't collect them, but I got them. And uh, I happened to call myself a collector. <laughs> and there were some really cool rookie cards. And there's something really cool about having an original card. It's almost like the having an original painting. There's something awesome about having an original painting, right? There's value. There's an emotional connection to an original painting, not just a print. Um, so that's kind of the thought that I had, that there's nothing like the original. So we're going to read through um, this next section of Matthew, um, starting at verse 17. So if you have, does anybody have their Bibles? If you have your Bibles, you can open them up. Even if they're electronic, it's cool, no shame. Um, Matthew 5, verse 17. Don't suppose that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy them. I came to fulfill them. I'm telling you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not one stroke, not one dot is going to disappear from the law until it's all come true. So anyone who relaxes a single one of these commandments, even the little ones, and teaches that to people will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Yes, let me tell you, unless your covenant behavior is far superior to that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to read through uh, verse 21 to 22, which isn't on the screen, but it says this. You heard that it was said to the ancient people, you shall not murder. And anyone who commits murder shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Anyone who uses foul and abusive language will be liable to the law court. And anyone who says you fool will be liable to the fires of Gehenna, which just means in other translations um, will be liable to the depths of hell, which is pretty dark. Um... So to go through this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray to start and pray that Jesus would be here, and then we'll get going. Jesus, you're a, you're a good God, and you love us, and you're so for us, God, and you desire that everybody would know you and know the love that you have, and you came down to earth to show. God, you know everybody that's in this room, and you know exactly why they're here, as Dana was saying. They have a purpose, even being in this room. God, I pray that you'd speak to them. Holy Spirit, would you be in our midst? God, would you speak to us and open our hearts? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cool. So to start, uh, I want to talk a little, about, a little bit about the context, which Ryan, Thurt, and, and, and Becca have kind of done as well. So I'm just going to kind of recap it. Um, just to uh, give us a little context. So the context of the day um, is that Israel, who's, who Jesus is talking to, which is his people, the Jews, um, they're in exile again. In, in, in the Old Testament, exile was the punishment for sin. 
Um, so when the Jews sinned, they were put into exile. When they were out of right relationship to God, they went into exile. So they're currently in exile. They're under the rule of the Roman Empire and not completely free as a people group. And this has going, been going on forever. They were in exile, out of exile, in exile. Some people got out of exile, and they went back into exile. And it's just kind of this kind of like life feeling, right? There's these ups and these downs. I feel free. Everything's going my way. Then things aren't going my way. Jesus is here. No, he's not. Who is God? It kind of feels like that same rhythm. And that's where we find the Jews in this passage. There was significant unrest within the Jewish people as they'd been looking for God to show up and deliver them um, into the promise that he had told them about. He said, you're going to be a great nation. You're going to be the you're going to be basically the solution to the problem of Adam. He calls Abraham and says, you're going to be a great nation. And they were waiting. Um, this waiting period was happening in the middle of a, a prophecy that happened earlier in the Old Testament. And the, and the prophecy said that you'll be in exile for 70 times 7 years. And this sounds really weird and kind of unnecessary. But for me, it's really cool because I like numbers. I'm a finance guy. So the, I looked into this. And what's crazy is there's this thing called Jubilee. Um, in, in the Jewish tradition, and it means nothing to us as Christians, really, um, but in, Ju- in the Jews' day, it did, and to Jesus, it meant a lot, and the context that we find the Jews in, it's actually really interesting, so the, the way that the law worked, and it said in Leviticus, is that every seven days, you'd have a Sabbath, everybody's heard of that, right, Sabbath, Sunday, Saturday for the Jews, but every seven days, you'd have a Sabbath, and then every seven years, they'd have a whole sabbatical year, and then every seven times seven years, they had a jubilee year, um, which meant that all debts, literally all debts, like if you had just bought a house the previous day and had a mortgage, the debt was forgiven, which sounds awesome, and I'm down for it. Um, but all debts were forgiven. Slaves were literally set free. Like literally, if you owned slaves, they had, you had no right over them the day after jubilee. Land was even given back to the original owners that had originally owned it seven times seven years ago. Things were, as, um, as one guy would say, he said, things were put back to the way that they were originally. And there's this guy named N.T. Wright that I really like. He's a theologian. And he says, just kind of interesting side note, he finds the Jubilee fascinating because it, as a social innovation because it essentially declares that the relentless buying and selling of land, goods, and even people won't be the last word. It can't fulfill you. I don't know if that speaks to anybody, but that speaks to me. And it speaks to the hope of our, our nation and, our, and, and uh, humans. Not even buying and selling even people, which is a passionate topic of our day, cannot be stopped because God has something better in mind. So that's kind of what Jubilee is. And that is the year that we're sitting in. And then we find Jesus talking to a bunch of Jews on the hillside. And so everybody's thinking, man, this prophecy, the 70 times 7 year, even more dramatic language, 70 times 7 year, you are going to have the ultimate renewal. That's when the Jews were going to be set free from exile. And so everybody's like anxiously waiting. You can imagine the time of the day. People are thinking, we're sitting under Rome. I don't know why we're sitting under Rome. God said he'd deliver us. Where is God? But he had this promise. And everybody's like, man, who's it going to be? Who's going to take us and who's going to lead us and take, it, take over the Romans and bring us back to what God promised us? What I deserve. Um, and that's kind of what we find ourselves in. So, um, sorry, let me just find my place. So, as, as we talked about the last couple weeks, um, you find God, Jesus talking to 
all these people on the hillside, and he's talking to them about these ancient Jewish things, like city on a hill, salt of the earth, light of the world. These were all things that described the Jews. This is how they described themselves. And he basically tells them, you have lost your saltiness as Jews. You didn't do what you originally called to do. And now I'm calling you to get back to your original purpose. I'm calling you, I'm telling you, I actually have a better way of doing things. I originally had these laws to bring life to the world, and now it's all about you guys just getting into this position of power and being on top of the world and taking over Rome. So what's interesting is they've actually been more focused on their national security and becoming the promise that God called them to be more than becoming the people of God and being his children. And I don't know about you, but I find that in my life all the time, where I'll take the gifts of God and make them more important than the God that I serve. Because for me, sometimes when I'm in a stressful situation, peace sounds a lot better than getting to know God. Like, I need peace, God. And he's like, just know me. And I'm like, I know, but I need peace first. And I find it interesting because I think that's what the Israelites were, were facing here. So I'm going to read through this, the, first, the first verse that went through, Matthew 5, 17. And with that kind of in mind, that context in mind. And he says, don't suppose that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy them. I came to, the, I came to fulfill them. So you've got all these laws that were created for all these Jews to basically usher in the kingdom of God. They created this system so that they could become the promise that God called them. They, they were just kind of those, have you ever heard God helps those who help themselves? It's kind of that feeling like, oh, well, God said that I'm going to get there. So I'm just going to help it along. I'm going to make all these things to help myself get there. I'm going to get that promise to happen. And what Jesus says is he says, I, all I wanted you to be is my people. And you guys have kind of forgotten that. And so what, what, get, what we get to is Jesus saying, I'm not here to destroy the law, which is the original good law, which was put into place for God to save humanity. That was why it was put into place. But it became something completely different in, in, in Jewish culture. It became about their, their national security. And so what happens is Jesus says, I'm not here to destroy that because the original intent is good. But all this system and stuff, I'm actually going to take it deeper. Some people look at the scripture and say, Jesus is trying to free up legalism, which is a, a, a valid point. But what's interesting is if you look at the, the verse we just, the, the last section of verse we read, and he talks about murder and anger, he actually makes it completely uh, a lot more hard to get along with. I mean, not murdering is easy to do, but not getting angry at somebody, that's a lot harder. And that, so Jesus didn't come to make it take away legalism. He came to show us what life was really about in the beginning. And I don't know about, I don't know about you, but that's good news for me because I don't, I don't want, I don't serve a God that just tells me how to do things and like puppets me. I serve a God that wants me to experience life to the fullest. It says in the word that God came to give us life and life to the fullest, to life abundantly. And so that's kind of where we find ourselves. I was in my house the other day, and um, I, got, I got a new house, and there's, I, I got this really cool, like, calendar with, uh, it's like chalkboard and stuff. It's pretty dope. <laughs> I'm pretty pumped. It's like the first thing I ever bought, and I put it on the wall, and I don't know if you've put things on a wall, but you need studs, and I'm not the best at finding studs, and I bought a really um, crappy stud finder, so I ended up missing, like, five times, but I ended up getting it on there. 
So I got this really cool thing on the wall. My dad and mom show up to like visit for graduation. And uh, my dad goes, huh. And then walks off. And you're just like, okay, I know that I did something wrong. But he, he kind of wanted to let me do my, do my thing because it was like my first place. And he was gonna, he's gonna like, no, Taylor, just let it go. Day goes by, it gets later into the night. And he finally goes, Taylor, this is bugging me. That looks terrible. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, did you, have you ever heard of drywall screws? And I'm like, drywall screws? What the heck is a drywall screw? I just like stud, screw, that's all I need. And there was this weird tension where my mom and I made eye contact. And I was like, here he goes again. He's just going to try to take whatever I do. And my, the way I do it's wrong, but the way he does it's going to be right. And ended up being amazing. It looked amazing on the wall. It looked way better. It hung better. It was level, for heaven's sakes. It was awesome. And uh, I got into this tension where I was like, you know that tension where somebody tries to fix what you did and you thought you knew how it was supposed to work, but then somebody shows you how it really works and you're like, gosh, I don't want to say you're right, but you're so right. And that's kind of what, for me, as I was looking through the scripture that the Jews, the Jews are in. God says, you've been doing it this way and it's good what, what you're trying to do. This is, you've got that down. You, you understand what's behind it. But how you're going about it has warped into something that like, you just don't remember the original purpose of it all because there's a good purpose behind it. And I'm here to tell you today, too, that you have an original purpose. God created you in a good way. Just because there's things that have changed or you might look at your situation and say, this is how I wanted to end up. You have an original purpose. God created you for that. That's kind of a side note. But <laughs> that's the tension that I want to kind of draw on this 517. God knew something about how something worked better than we did, better than the Jews did at that time. It's almost like, I don't know if your mom's like mine. My mom and technology just do not go together. And sometimes when you tell her how Instagram works, she gets mad. But when she learns how it works, she's like appreciative, right? Because when you bring the original purpose to something, you can kind of understand how it works better and get a little bit more freedom in it, right? If not, you're just kind of like, oh, I think I, I think I know how it works. And then somebody shows and you're like, yeah, that's how it works. And so that's kind of what I want to feel right now in this scripture is that they knew what it was, but they didn't really know how it all worked completely. And Jesus came not to destroy it. Because when my dad told me that those drywall screws were way better, he didn't come to destroy my intentions. He just, just kind of said, that's not the way to do it. There's a better way. And you get this fulfillment of like, oh, that is what I wanted. You're totally right. And so that's kind of what, the, what Jesus did when, people, when, 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 the, when the word says he came to fulfill the law. Because he's claiming that he knows how to interact with God, which is interesting. He's claiming that he understands how to be fully human, how to live a fully human life. And I want to live a fully human life. I don't know about you. So as we read on... Um, he actually points, he actually calls out the Pharisees. He says, he says, unless you're like the Pharisees, you can't get into the kingdom of heaven. And that would be really frustrating for everybody out there because if they were never going to be like the Pharisees. Because actually the Pharisees had made it so exclusive that, they, that unless you were really a Pharisee, you couldn't even get close to how they lived their life. They, they, they started this culture of exclusion when the whole point of the Jews existing was to include the world and save the world. And isn't that backwards? And I find myself in life a lot of times where I think that I'm supposed, to being, I'm supposed to be included, but people are excluding me. I don't know about you either, but in the church sometimes I felt excluded when I'm feeling like, man, I'm supposed to be included. 
And so I, before we go and like, go like rag on the Israelites in this, or the Jews in this, this spot, let's realize that it's pretty human. Like it's pretty much like how I live my life. I get into spots where I'll try to make something better than it originally was and end up worse than I started off. Isn't it funny how we look down the road to a promise or a destination that God gave us and then think, man, I know where God told me to go, so I'm just going to get there as fast as I can and forget the God that was a, the, the promiser. There's the gift, and then there's the gift giver, and sometimes we get stuck on, man, I just want the gift. I have kind of three points that I want to just hound on, but... Um, I want you to know tonight that Jesus wants you to experience the life the way that he designed it. Jesus is not out to get you. The life that he has for you is actually quite literally better than you can even know. Like quite literally, like you can't even imagine. It's way better. And I want you to know that, and he goes on to it later in chapter five, but as, as I quoted earlier, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That does not sound like somebody that's out to trip you. He's for you. He is not against you. We go into Psalm 23, and this is something that a mentor once told me, um, which was super encouraging to me. This may sound super dumb, but for me, I was hard-headed, so this made a lot of sense. So follow me. This says, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You rod in your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a good word, because God is not a guy that when you follow him, he leads you off cliffs. Somebody needs to hear that tonight. He leads you to green pastures. He leads you to besides still waters. Some of you guys, as, as Dana beautifully said, some, some of us, me included, walk around life, oh my gosh, I, I think I'm following God. I think I am. I mean, I'm at his feet, and I think I'm reading the Bible enough. And he's like, just follow me. I lead you besides quiet waters. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, he's by me. And so I, I, I just want to make a point that God is for you. Can, I, can, can everybody say, God is for me? God is not against me. That's good. In Genesis 3, it says, he said to the woman, and this is the serpent, he said, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? When I read this story in relation to Matthew 5, it was interesting because he basically says, do you think God's for you? Like, are you sure? He might be against you. Like, are you sure that he's for you? Are you sure that he's good? Because this looks really good. And I find myself a lot of times with that comparison. So if there's any encouragement tonight, remember that God is for you and he's good. And that's how it was in the beginning of time when God created you with your original purpose. And it's the same, it's the same in relationships. I was talking with a friend the other day and I think the root of all hard, like hard, hard points in relationships is trust, right? And is that person for us? And isn't it interesting that the original sin that we experienced was is God for us? And then all of a sudden, the biggest problem we have in life is our people for us. Isn't everybody else out to get me? You know, and I don't know about you, but that spoke to me. So, um, 
Point two, he wants you to live out of freedom, not out of fear. Finding joy in this life is about obedience, not outcomes. I'll say that again. Life is about obedience, not outcomes. One thing that Jesus talked about, I think, in this context, contextually, he was saying, you guys have focused so much on the outcome, which is great. You guys want to be the light on the hill, the salt of the earth. But you guys forgot that it was about obedience. Like, joy is literally obedience. Like, in the beginning, when God created the world, there was the garden, man, woman, God, and all they were doing was doing what God said. Not because he was puppeting them, but because they loved him. And if you love me, you will do what I command. Not out of puppeting, but because life comes from doing what God tells you. That's like literally perfection, like heaven on earth, like Lord's prayer, I want heaven on earth, is living like heaven's on earth. And that means doing what God commands, because that was perfection. And if that's what life is, I'm in for it. And that's what it says in John 14, 15. If you love me, then you obey what I command. He wants you to be intimate with him again. So remember that obedience is where you find joy, not outcomes. And I think we can learn that from this passage. Last point, uh, don't allow the great byproducts of a healthy relationship with Jesus become the point. They aren't enough. They're never going to be enough. But he is. Love is patient. Love is kind. I don't remember the rest. (laughs) There it is. That, yeah. And what's funny is what she was saying, like, if you make those the point of a relationship with Jesus, they're never going to fulfill you. But if you remember that Jesus is love, that Jesus is patient, that Jesus is kind, that Jesus never, ever keeps records of you wrong. Like, literally, he has no little accountants in his head remembering everything. He has no recollection. And so you can live knowing. That like Jesus loves you and he's for you. It's literally that simple. He is for you and he loves you. And he came so that you could have that. Died, rose again. And so I, I, for me, it, it, it's, it's interesting when you compare it to relationships. I, I've seen this in my own life. Um, when I make things in relationships, whether romantic or not, if I make things about that, that come out of that relationship, of a good relationship, I make those the point, stuff goes downhill so fast. Like, I don't know if I'm the only one, but like if I, make, if I make hanging out all the time the point, because, oh, that's so fun. I love finally having somebody to do life with. Oh, my gosh. I love just having conversation all the time. This is so fun. Eventually, somebody like either burns out or you just have nothing else to talk about. And things just become like, oh, 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 my gosh, we're not talking. So something must be wrong. Oh, my gosh, we're not hanging out and making out. Oh, my gosh, something must be wrong. Because all of a sudden, the, the gifts of, of the relationship or the byproducts of a relationship can become the point. And so I think just for me as a person, uh, that was a big breakthrough for me, was realizing that the point is in being in relationship, not the things that come from it. Um, I'm not going to get in a ton to the next next section that talks about murder, reconciliation, adultery, divorce. Um, But I want to make a point about it. That's why I read one of them. And I mentioned it earlier. Jesus doesn't, like, lower the ante. He actually ups the ante about things, because he cares about you experiencing life to the fullest. Like, God's saying that it's way stricter. Like, it's not just about you not murdering. It's about you not getting angry. He's saying, I designed you never to be angry, and that's life to the fullest. So, when sometimes we can get like, man, God's just controlling me, and this is just, what am I doing anymore? And he's, he's, we got to remember 
that he is for you and that he actually wants you to experience life to the fullest. And I think he actually points out to the Pharisees that they're focusing on external stuff and God's actually upping the ante and saying, it's about loyalty of the heart. I want you to be internally, I want you to be committed to me at all costs. So just as, a, as, an, as I conclude, just there's a refrain that keeps happening, which is that um, just as he came to fulfill the law, he's coming to fulfill his people. He wants to fulfill us. And um, we should use this as a, as, a, as a point where we see what's happening in the Israelites, and it's kind of a great way for us to see life. He came to fulfill us, too. Um, I don't know where you're at or what you're up against, but I'm here to tell you tonight that you have a God who cares about you, who is for you, not against you. He gave up his place literally in heaven, the scriptures say. He gave up his heavenly privileges to give you life to the fullest. Because stuff went, stuff went wrong with the Israelites became part of the problem, and they were trying to make it happen. He had to come and fulfill it. And how grace-filled is that? He came to include you. We're talking about the kingdom of God, and I want you to know that you are invited to be a part of the kingdom of God. His kingdom is for you. He's invited you into his kingdom. We like to exclude people as, as humans, but just like the Pharisees did, actually. They're just humans, just like we do all the time. But you need to know that Jesus has included you on the invite list. You're an A-lister, they might say. Imagine that. <laughs> Even I am with these strange shoes. I was writing this when I was tired, man. I got these shoes the other day. Okay, this is a side note. I got these shoes the other day, and I was down at uh, high school and middle school, uh, serving down at uh, this church that I go to. And they, uh, they looked at them, and they said, they said, oh, wow, these are uh, not tight. And I said, well, that's not cool, because I think they're classy. So I took them off and told them they're classy, and I had these, like, short, sh- short little socks in the middle. And they were like, those aren't tight either. And I literally walked off so depressed. I was like, this is the worst, but I like him, so that's cool. You are loved by a God who has a purpose for you. Remember that. You are God, you are loved by a God who has a purpose for you. He made a way for you to be a part of the kingdom, even though we have no right because we've fallen short. We have sinned, but Jesus, oh, what a sweet phrase, but Jesus made a way. He came to earth, showed us how to live in the kingdom here, and then also conquer death so we can live it there. It says in the word that love is this. This is what Dana said. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us and sent his son that he would atone for our sins. Part of the purpose that Jesus talks about with the law and, and, the, and the people of Israel is he's calling them back to remember that they need to be loved again. Like somebody needs to hear that tonight. Like you are being called to like be loved like, that's your purpose. Like, before everything went wrong in the garden, all that there was was, again, God, garden, two people, them doing what God told them to do, and God love them. Perfect relationship. That's heaven on earth. Like, you are to be loved. Like, that's your purpose in life. And I'm okay with that because that's awesome. And I can, I can live free because I know I'm loved. Like, literally, if you think about that, like, you can, you can live life loving people, Go in places and know you're loved and like leaves options way open. Not in a selfish way, but like God wants you to go preach the word to all people. People are everywhere. <laughs> know you're loved. Like I think sometimes maybe I'm simplistic, but like maybe we just need to know we're loved, kind of like what Dana was saying. Like it's man, it's a good thought. <laughs> 
it's kind of the gospel, so. Your purpose as a human is to live in his kingdom, which is being loved by God. Would you guys stand with me? I'm going to pray real quick. Um, sorry if I rambled. I know I can just say a lot of ums and likes, but I really love this place, and I love you guys, and I love the city of Seattle, and I'm so passionate about, about um, this church. So, um, After I pray, we're going to have a time of reflection and song. So during that time, if you want to know more about Jesus or what it means to have a relationship with him, I encourage you to talk. There'll be leaders in the back. Um, if you need prayer for anything, physical, emotional, need to process with somebody, there are people in the back. Grab five friends, two friends, one friend, and just pray. Um, this is going to be kind of a time just to reflect. So I'm going to pray real quick. Jesus, you are such a good God. And you are so for us and you are not against us. And you desire that we know that we're loved by you. God, you have an original purpose for everybody that is in this room. God, you knew them before they were created. God, and you see them for who they're going to be, not who they are or who they were. I pray that tonight people would remember that. God, that they know that they're loved. God, I pray that your spirit would see what you've done tonight, Father. God, that you would speak the words that you want to speak to people, God. We thank you for what you're doing in the city and in the people of this church, God. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.